All right. Well, John chapter 10, uh, we're going to kind of go through this a little bit at a time this morning as uh, we complete uh, this this uh, chapter. But uh, let me just read, begin with the first uh, couple verses. Verse 22. At that time, the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter. Okay, so... Let me stop there from verse 19, from verse 1 to 22, a couple months have passed, okay? This isn't the same conversation that was taking place in the first half of John chapter 10. Uh, We are now towards the end of December, and uh, it is the Feast of Dedication. Uh, It's really, it's commemorating um, the the Jews having reclaimed the temple. Back in 164 B.C., um, a group of people uh, overcame uh, this, the Syrian king, Antiochus of Epiphanes. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right or not. It could be Antiochus. But... Uh, he was a Syrian king, and he was a wicked dude. And uh, he had overcome Jerusalem, and he wanted to exterminate the Jews. He had killed 80,000 Jews uh, in Jerusalem, and then he sold off another 80,000 80, Jews into slavery. Um, the temple at that time, back in 167 to 164 B.C., uh, was became the, uh, a temple of worship to the Greek god Zeus. And uh, Antiochus would, uh, would uh, slaughter pigs uh, in the name of this Greek god. And it was just a, just a horrible, horrible situation as the temple had been desecrated. But then uh, Judas Maccabees came, uh, formed an army, and uh, overcame the Syrian king, reclaimed the temple, and rededicated the temple, restored the the worship and the sacrifices uh, in 164 B.C. And that uh, became known as Hanukkah, and that's what's, that is something that the Jews continue to celebrate today. It's around the same time as Christmas, and you know, a lot of the world confuses that, that they think that the Jews are celebrating Christ's birth. No, they are celebrating the, the reclaiming of the temple uh, back in 164, um, BC. And so that's where we are. It's a, it's an event that takes place for about 8 days towards the end of December. And um and you, you know the menorahs, those big candles that uh the Jews light uh to celebrate God's activity among them. Um those are lit up for 8 consecutive days during this time. And here Jesus is He's come back to Jerusalem, and he's uh, he's part of this celebration. He's uh, 
He, he doesn't want to miss out on the festivities. He is there, and the Bible says that uh, it was winter, verse 23, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. And so here Jesus is, and he is celebrating with the rest of the Jews. And you'll notice that it is winter. And uh, winter, I think, symbolizes what's going to take place among the Jews because they have rejected, they are going to reject the true temple. You know, it's pretty amazing as we read this text this morning that they're celebrating the opportunity, the, the religious freedom that they have to worship God in the temple. And yet the true temple in Jesus Christ is in their very midst and the religious leaders don't believe. They are completely blind in their rebellion and are unable to worship the true temple in Jesus Christ, the the light of the world. You know, it's an amazing thing when those those candles are lit up, those gigantic menorahs, it lights up the whole city. And yet, here is the light of the world in Jesus Christ. And they can't see the light. And so, that's what's happening in the context of this morning as we go through John, the rest of John chapter 10. You know, and... Um, understand this about Hanukkah. This is not a festival that God has told the Jews that uh, they are to uh, celebrate. This, this isn't in the text of the Old Testament. This is between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Um, and yet the Jews continue to celebrate it uh, up through today. You know, and some people ask, in Christmas, as Christians, should we uh, celebrate Christmas? It's not in the Bible. God didn't tell us to remember Jesus' birthday, but we do a really good job at remembering Jesus' birthday. Um, and should we celebrate Christmas? Well, Jesus celebrated this festival, this holiday, and uh, I believe Jesus wants us to celebrate his birthday. Now, does he, is he uh, in favor of all the secularizations gone into his birthday? Absolutely not. We have become totally distracted, and, and it's, not, it's not about Jesus' birthday anymore. It's about Santa Claus and getting together family and presents, getting the things that we want. And uh, Jesus would be against those things. But the idea of gift-giving started with God. You know, God first gave to us. God gave to us his son. And, uh, and so when we give gifts uh, to each other at Christmas time, it's really s- ought to be symbolizing the, 
the, the gift that we receive in Jesus Christ and that we give gifts to others in return because we love them. You know, the Christmas tree symbolizes uh, the evergreen and the evergreen symbolizing everlasting life. I think there are some things you can see, find about Christianity, if things that um, that uh, we make a big big deal of at Christmas time. The lights, Christmas lights, they're beautiful in the Christmas season. Why do we do those lights? Because Jesus is the light of the world. And so I will just encourage you that uh, at this Christmas season, it's been a tough year. And uh, maybe you don't feel like putting lights up this year. I want to encourage you, put up the lights. Put up the tree. Don't forget Christmas because it is all about Jesus. He is our hope. So should Christians celebrate Christmas? I think so. As long as Jesus is the focal point of all that we do, okay? Jesus participated in Hanukkah here in this passage of Scripture. And what were they celebrating? The restoration, the the reclaiming, um, the dedication, rededication of the temple once again. They were, they were celebrating their religious freedom. Church, I think God cares about our religious freedom. Jesus was participating in this event. You know, and as Christians, as God's people, we need to be concerned about religious freedom and not take it for granted. And unfortunately, we live in a day and age where even a lot of pastors don't think it's a big deal that religious freedom is, is really all that important. You know, and there's a lot of Christians around the world, a lot of missionaries around the world who live in, in places where there are corrupt governments, People cannot freely worship in the name of Jesus Christ. And they know how difficult that is. But we live in a day and age, church. We don't have to be afraid. We have the freedom. Now, people are trying to take that freedom away. But praise God for the decision that was made in the Supreme Court this last Wednesday. You know, Donald Trump appointing Amy Bennett to the Supreme Court was a God thing. Church, if that hadn't happened, we may be meeting here illegally today. Religious freedom is something that as a church, as God's people, we can't afford to take it for granted. It is coming under attack. And the days may come where it can maybe be far worse. 
I believe God cares about our religious freedom. Here Jesus is in Jerusalem, commemorating, helping celebrate Hanukkah and the religious freedoms that the Jews once again experienced in 164 when their temple was uh, restored back to them. And so that's where we are uh, in this text this morning. Let's read verses. Uh, let's read verse four. So the Jews gathered around him, gathered around Jesus, and said to him, "How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly." Jesus continues to be hounded by the religious leaders. And in this verse this morning, we see these religious people, these religious leaders have surrounded Jesus. And they ask him the question, how long are you going to keep us in suspense? Tell us plainly, are you the Christ? And they want to hear it from Jesus' mouth. And um, again, these the men are in rebellion because Jesus has already done this on several occasions as we've walked through the book of John. But uh, he's going to explain to them one more time and answer their question very plainly. So let's look at verses 25 through 39. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe, because you are not among my sheep. Verse 27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. He says to these religious leaders, look, I have already told you who I am. And if you're not going to believe my word words, look at my works. Look at the things that I've done in my Father's name. They bear witness of who I am. But now Jesus is going to explain to them why they don't believe. He's going to go deeper with them. Okay, he's, he's told them who he is. He's shown them who he is. But right now, Jesus is going to tell them, the reason why you don't believe is because you are not my sheep. In order for, for you to believe, you've got to be one of my sheep aren't. Jesus says in verse 26, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. They don't believe because they're not one of the sheep. My friend, if you are going to be one of Jesus' sheep, 
you have a responsibility from the human standpoint, from, from our standpoint, Jesus says you've got to believe in who he is. And from the sovereign standpoint of God, this is what it says in verse 29. My father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. There's a human responsibility when it comes to salvation that you and I must believe. But then there is the, the, the sovereignty aspect of God that says that you and I have been chosen as one of his sheep. Verse 29, it says, Jesus says, My Father who has given them to me. God the Father gives to the Son the sheep whom Jesus is to shepherd. And so when it comes to being a part of God's flock, Jesus being our shepherd, us being the sheep, we must believe in God does the choosing. Both of those things are true. And I just want to encourage you this morning not to try to reconcile this, those things together. If you try to reconcile those two truths, you know what? You are going to drive yourself crazy. You're going to have to go to my wife for counseling. They are two truths of Scripture that cannot be reconciled, and you and I must believe both of them. Now, people try to reconcile. And I heard the how people reconcile. But if you try to reconcile in that way, guess what? You end up giving man credit for their salvation. You can't do that. God does the choosing and man does the believing. But when it comes to our salvation, it is by grace alone. Not by anything you do. Simple grace. If, if we could save ourselves, Jesus died needlessly. But the only way that we could be forgiven, the only way that we could have a relationship with Christ was purely on what Christ had done for us. Period. It's a great mystery. Romans chapter 11 verse 33 says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how unscrutable his ways. I don't understand it, church. I can't reconcile this. By faith, I must just believe this. You know, when I was a kid and when I came to faith in Christ, I didn't know anything about election. I had never heard of that word. 
It it did. And when I did hear about it, it didn't mean anything. It was very confusing. When I came to faith in Christ, it was simply through believing in what Jesus had done for me. That I was a sinner and I needed God's forgiveness. And the only way I was going to find forgiveness was through believing in what Christ did for me. When I was eight years old, I got down on my knees and I humbly asked Jesus to come into my heart. And I never regretted that decision. God answered that prayer. And then as I grew in my relationship with the Lord, as I read the Bible, I learned about election. And I read and and understood how before the beginning of time, God knew who I was and God elected me. God selected me. God chose me to be saved. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4. We don't get that in the beginning, but as we grow in Christ-like maturity, as we grow in the grace of God, in the Word of God, we learn these things. And Jesus tells, tells us in verse 21 that we, his sheep, are a gift to Jesus. God has chosen us in our in his sovereignty and presented us to good shepherd Jesus Christ verse 29 And so Jesus tells these leaders you've you've heard me say these things you've watched me do these things And yet you continue not to believe. And the reason why you don't believe and cannot believe is because you're not my sheep. You're not of my flock. And then Jesus speaks about the sheep in verses 27 through 29. My sheep, hear my voice. And I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I love these verses. These are probably verses that I quote more than any verses in the whole Bible, as I, particularly when I talk to new Christians. Jesus is saying here about the sheep it is that we are secure in Jesus and God's hands, and we will never perish, and we will have eternal life. John 3.16, For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That's what Jesus does 
for the sheep. Look at John chapter 6, verse 39. John chapter 6, verse 39 says, And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. We can't lose our salvation. If you're one of Jesus' sheep, part of his flock, you cannot lose your salvation. You might be able to lose your keys, but you're not going to lose your salvation. And people ask this question all the time. Can I lose my salvation? That's the wrong question to ask. The question you should be asking is, can Jesus lose one of his kids? No, he can't. Everyone whom the Father gives the Son, he is going to keep. He's not going to lose one of them, and they will be raised up on the last day. I've been watching lately several mothers hold their babies. You know, they don't hold their babies, you know, haphazardly, you know, by one arm, just walk them around like this, or, uh, you know, like this, and, you know, hopefully not drop them. No. I watch those moms. I watch those dads. You know how they hold their babies? This. I mean, both arms. And you know what? No one's going to be able to take them out of their arms. They belong. Those babies belong to those parents. The Bible says, Jesus holds us, and God holds us, and no one is able to take us out of the Father's hand. We are secure, secure in the arms of God. We've got a shepherd and we've got an owner who is safekeeping, safeguarding every one of his sheep. Let me read just 28 and 29 again. I give them eternal life and they will never perish, and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. When it comes to our security, we have eternal life. It's going to be never-ending. Salvation is a gift. It is given. It is not something that is earned. My Father who is given is greater than... I give, in verse 26, I give them eternal life. We don't earn our eternal life. It is given to us when we believe. And we will never perish. That's a promise, church. 
that is always going to be there. Now, does that mean that once we receive this eternal life, that we belong to God, that, boy, we can just go go ahead and do whatever we want to do? No. Sheep don't talk that way. Sheep want to be obedient to the shepherd. Sheep hear his voice. The shepherd knows them. And the sheep follow him. So the the sheep follow the shepherd. They know his voice. I like how Jeff pointed this out last week. You know, you can put several different flocks of sheep together. And you can have five or six different shepherds. uh, And all those sheep are in the same pen. How do you separate them all out? You know, sheep look a lot alike, don't they? So how does the shepherd know who his sheep is? That shepherd calls out his sheep. And those sheep recognize that shepherd's voice, and they are going to follow that shepherd. The true sheep, the real sheep, we're not talking about counterfeit sheep, The real sheep know the voice of Jesus and follow him. How do we hear Jesus' voice? His word. His word. We need to know his word. We need to know, we need to learn what God wants us to do. And as we're involved in his word... And as his word becomes a part of our life, guess what? We know his voice. We know his will. We know what he wants us to do. And we follow Jesus. True sheep follow Jesus. Then in verse 30. Now he really gets the religious leader's goat. Okay? He says, I and the Father are one. When it comes to our our salvation, church, God the Father has the power to keep us secure, and Jesus the Son has the power to keep us secure. We are in their hands and he says I and the father are one and my has this triggered the religious leaders oh there he goes again and in verse 31 the Jews picked up stones again to stone him those were the words that they were waiting to hear Okay, that that he is claiming to be one with the Father. And when Jesus says that, what he's talking about is the nature, his who who he, what he shares with with God the Father. They are one in essence. Okay? They are they are the same God 
but two different persons. The Father isn't the Son, and the Son isn't the Father. But they share the same nature. They are unified. They are one. And Jesus' claim, and so what we see here very clearly, once again, is that Jesus is claiming to be God. And the Pharisees understood this, okay? They pick up stones, but look what, look what the, verse 33 says. Jesus answered him and said, It is not good, it is not good, it is not for a good work that, that we are, the Jews answered Jesus, okay? It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. And that's what Jesus is, exactly what Jesus is claiming in verse 30. I and the Father are one. And the Jews understood that, and they wanted to stone him. And you don't see Jesus denying that in verse 33. He goes to say, Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law? I said, you are gods. And he's quoting from Psalm chapter 82, verse 6. We'll look at that in just a moment. In your law, I said, you are gods. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said, I am the Son of God? If I am not doing the works of my Father, then you do not. If if I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and I in the Father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but escaped. From their hands. They're beside themselves because Jesus is claiming to be God. And Jesus says, You're upset because I've, I say that I am the Son of God, that I am, I and the Father are one. Listen, he goes back to the, the, the Old Testament in Psalm chapter 86. And in Psalm chapter 86, he quotes verse 6, and we'll read that in just a moment. But, I'm sorry, not 86, 82, Psalm 82. The psalmist here talks about gods, little gods, okay? And it's in reference to... um, Judges, those those Jews who judged judged God's people in the Old Testament, they were referred to as gods um, in this passage of Scripture. 
And the Jews didn't have any problem with that. And, and Jesus quotes from this passage of Scripture. And let me just read, starting with verse 1 of Psalm 82. God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Now he's speaking about the judges here in this passage of Scripture. Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, you are gods, sons of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. God is telling these judges to take your role seriously because you represent me on earth and through your judgment. You must judge justly. And apparently these were wicked judges and they were showing partiality and God would have them do nothing of that sort. And so they were gods in the eyes of the people because they represented gods. Now, but here in John chapter 10, Jesus is claiming to be God, but he's much greater than these gods, judge gods in Psalm 82. And Jesus is saying, you didn't have any problem with those judges being labeled gods in Psalm 82, but you have a problem with me saying that I and the Father are one, that, you know, I'm one with God the Father? Look at my works. I mean, if you don't believe my words, look at the things that I am doing. I am validating who I am. And so here Jesus is answering their question in verse 24. How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And he has told them plainly. But the reason why they don't believe because they're not in Jesus' flock. Those who are in Jesus' flock humble themselves with childlike faith believe the words of Jesus. You know, when it comes to kids and Christianity and telling them what Jesus has done for them, for them they hear it and they believe it there's no questions asked but then we become adults 
And we think we can become really smart. We know better than God. And we have a hard time believing the words of Jesus. In order to enter the, the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, you must become like a child. Humble yourself and believe what Jesus has done for you. Religious leaders aren't there. And they are going to refuse to be there. But not those who were truly part of Jesus' flock. They know the shepherd's voice. And then we wrap up John chapter 10. The Jews continue, the religious leaders continue to reject him. Verse 39, again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. I don't know how Jesus did it. Jesus is like Houdini or something. He escapes uh, the presence of these people who want to kill him one more time. And he leaves Jerusalem. And he's not going to come back to Jerusalem until um, uh, Palm Sunday, the last week of his life, about four months later. What does Jesus do? Verse 40, he went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. John the Baptist is no longer alive, okay? He's been beheaded, but his ministry... John the Baptist's influence continues. Verse 41, And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign. Everything that John said about this man was true, and many believed in him there. John the Baptist performed no miracles. John the Baptist nearly prepared the way for Messiah. And those who had heard John's words believed this man, Jesus, who had come now into their presence across the Jordan. The Bible says, and many believed in him there. So my question to you this morning, do you believe? That's what the book of John is all about. Do you believe in Jesus? Do you struggle with your salvation? Is, is there insecurity in your heart where you don't know for sure if you were to die today, you would go to heaven. You know what? God wants to erase that insecurity. The question is, do you believe Jesus' words? Have you given your life to him? You know, when I was eight years old, I gave my life to Christ. I've seen a lot of years since then. 
Has Bill Logan been perfect? Absolutely not. Bill Logan has made lots of mistakes. But you know, in all those mistakes, I've never questioned my salvation. (laughs) I've been convicted about my sin. (laughs) You know where that conviction comes from? The gift of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says the Holy Spirit convicts us of both our sin and our righteousness. He affirms when we do good things, do the right things, but he also convicts us when we do the wrong things. And when I refuse to listen to that voice, that conviction, guess what? I become more and more miserable. But does that mean my relationship with my father has been broken? Nope. My fellowship with the father has been broken, but I will never lose that relationship. I've got four kids. I get along with them pretty well most of the time. But you know, if, if, uh, if one of them were to go off track and hate their dad and walk out on their dad and they don't want to have anything to do with me for the rest of their life, guess what? I don't stop being their dad. I can't. That relationship is secure. It's the fellowship that's suffering. That's one of the great indications that we are his sheep. Because if we can sin and feel no guilt whatsoever and do live our life the way we want to for the rest of our life, Jesus has, there's been no transformation whatsoever, then I question that relationship with, with God. But when we do wrong and we're convicted and we get right, we confess that sin. First John one nine. He is faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. We're sheep forever. But to get into that flock, you must believe. That's your responsibility. God's sovereign. He knows who who's belongs to him. Well, how do I know God's chosen me? Great question. If you have a desire to want to believe in Jesus, guess what? You're chosen. Because the Bible says, for the heart of man, no one seeks after God. Only only those whom God has chosen. So if you have a desire to know him, to pursue him, to be called one of his own, God says, I've chosen you.
you must believe. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this great passage of security for those who belong to you. Lord, if there's one here today who is without needs Christ, who knows that Jesus is the only one who can put their life back together. God, I pray that today would be a day of their salvation. Right where you're at, tell them you believe. Tell them that you believe that he died for your sin. He rose again from the grave. That you want to follow him and hear his voice. If you're telling him that right now, God hears that prayer. God is answering that prayer. Now follow him. For others, if you've struggled with your salvation, you've questioned whether or not you're a Christian, believe Jesus' words. You cross that threshold of faith, but you struggle in obedience. God hasn't abandoned you. God's convicting you. Come back to him. He's waiting for you to come home. Because you're his. You're his child. And nothing will separate you from the love of your father. Thank you for truth. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for this text this morning. In Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said... Amen. If you've made... Amen.